0: Good morning, everybody. Welcome again to Lighthouse Bible Church. We'll begin right now. I enter into prayer together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for who you are. We thank you that you love us. We thank you for your justice and righteousness that was satisfied at the cross when your son, Jesus Christ, died as a substitute for the sinners of the world, all of us, the just for the unjust. We thank you, Father, for the resurrection of Christ and The fact that it uh, guarantees that whoever believes in your son is justified, declared righteous. We also know, Father, we look forward to the time, could be tonight, when Jesus Christ brings us up to heaven in the rapture, and we'll all have resurrection bodies like his. This is, of course, Father, by your grace, which we are in awe of. We ask this morning, Father, further, that the Holy Spirit would guide and direct everything that we'll be doing here today. Um, Hopefully it's to your glory We ask that for the song service and the fellowship with one another and the teaching of the Word of God. And we ask all of this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, by the power of the Spirit, we pray. Amen. Amen. Please stand and worship with us. Good morning again, everybody. This month we're featuring Chosen People Ministries is the missionary organization. Um, As many of you know, they uh, pray for, evangelize, disciple, and serve... Jewish people everywhere. And they help fellow believers to do the same thing. With our help, they will continue proclaiming the good news through Jesus the Messiah to Jewish people around the world. And I have some news. Well, Here's the website, www.chosenpeople.com, about that news. Rich Freeman, who comes here just about every year, is going to come again. Only this year, he's going to join us on December 22nd. Now, that's when we're going to have our Christmas service. Only this year... It's going to be a Hanukkah Christmas service, looking at the relationship between what happened around Hanukkah and, of course, we celebrate at Christmas the birth of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So that's going to be a special Sunday. We're looking forward to that very much. Another thing I wanted to let everybody know about, because we're solidifying the plans right now, is that we are going to be participating as a church in a program called First Priority. It brings the gospel to public schools through student clubs. This is actually legal in the state of Florida. If you have a student-led club, you can have Christianity and the Gospel preached. So it's a very exciting thing. Um, Of course, many of you know Olivia. She participated in the same program when she was in high school at Pompano High. We're going to be doing it at Deerfield Beach Middle School. It's right down the road, about two miles. So I'm really excited about that. Um, Please keep that in prayer. Um, There's no doubt, since the church also provides resources and guidance, there's no doubt that there'll be opportunities for the church, for you to participate if you'd like to do that. So please keep that in prayer. And speaking of prayer, please keep Pastor Kingsley in prayer. His missions trip starts this week, September 18th through the 30th. Um, I think he's still going. As you know, I announced last week that there's some civil unrest now in that country related to foreign black people. But we're hoping that uh, that's settled down and that he would be able to go. I think he is. I haven't heard anything other than that. Anybody needs a Bible? We have Bibles in the back. Just raise your hand now and we'll make sure you have one. All right. Today's message comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 10, and it's do all to the glory of God. Do all to the glory of God. Please turn in your Bibles at this time to 1 Corinthians 10, 23. 1 Corinthians 10, 23. Read this together. 1 Corinthians 10.23, it begins, All things are lawful, but not all things are profitable, beneficial. All things are lawful, but not all things edify, build up other people. Let no one seek his own good, but that of his neighbor. Eat anything that is sold in the meat market without asking questions for conscience sake. For the earth is the Lord's and all it contains. If one of the unbelievers invites you and you want to go, eat anything that is set before you without asking questions for conscience sake. But if anyone says to you, this is meat sacrificed to idols, do not eat it for the sake of the one who informed you and for conscience sake. i mean not your own conscience, but the other man's. For why is my freedom judged by another's conscience? If I partake with thankfulness, why am I slandered concerning that for which I give thanks? Whatever then you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Give no offense either to Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God. Just as I, Paul, also please all men in all things, not seeking my own profit or benefit or advantage, but the profit or the benefit of many, so that they may be saved." Be imitators of me, just as I also am of Christ. This passage that we just read concludes Paul's teachings to the Corinthians about eating food sacrificed to idols. Now, Given the subject matter, it's kind of amazing in one respect that he's dedicating almost three chapters to it, actually more than three chapters to it. Um, almost 20% of the letter is on that subject of eating food sacrificed to idols. And again, this is not something that all of us will come in contact with. So what does that mean? It means that there are general principles here that are not specific to eating meat sacrificed to idols, but apply to all of us. And he's going to lay some of that out today. Probably already saw that when we read the passage. And it's really that that we should take away, and focus on as we end up this, this series on the subject of eating meat sacrificed to idols. Last week, we ended in verse 22, and with that, Paul had finished his formal argument. Now he moves on, and he's going to give practical guidelines about that subject, eating food sacrificed to idols. Practical guidelines, gracious ones, if I could say that. And then after that, he gives a summary of general principles for Christian behavior that apply to all of us. In other words, he takes this from the particulars of eating meat to general conduct as a Christian. We'll see that today. And the general conduct as a Christian is what we take away from this three-chapter discussion. We might not ever again face a decision about idol meat. But we will have many occasions where we need to apply these general principles about our behavior. You know, I was thinking about Pastor Kingsley in light of this. Because he has and probably still will face the challenge of eating food sacrificed to idols. When you're a missionary and evangelist in other countries, it's much more common to run into that sort of thing. But for most of us, that's just not something that we're going to have to deal with. All right, let's go back to verse 23 and begin this verse-by-verse study today. All things are lawful, but not all things are profitable or beneficial. All things are lawful, but not all things edify, build up one another. Let no one seek his own good but that of his neighbor. I hope you can see that he actually begins with a general principle. I mean, this is something that does apply to every Christian us as well. All things are lawful. We are not under the bondage of the law, but not all things are profitable or beneficial. Some things that we might choose to do with our freedom are not going to benefit others or glorify God. All things are lawful, but not all things edify. Let no one seek his own good, but that of his neighbor. This is a general principle. It underlies his argument, as he's finished with, but it also sets a framework that he's about to get into with his practical guidelines. Let no one seek his own good but that of his neighbor. You know, we have freedom as Christians. We really do. And we have freedom. One of the things we have freedom about is making use of all of God's creation. Jesus pronounced all foods clean. Peter realized and the Lord revealed it to him that the food laws and the dietary laws of the Jewish people don't apply anymore because it's a Gentile and a Jewish body of Christ. And here we have the same issue. Yes, you're in a place, Corinthians, where there's a lot of idolatry. But at the same time, you have freedom. You have the freedom to make use of all of God's creation. You have the freedom to do that. However, there are situations where to do so would not be beneficial to others. Or even ourselves. See, that's something that we do have to pay attention to. All of us have freedom to make use of things in God's creation. There are times, though, and situations where if we did that it would not be helping other people. Quite the opposite. There are situations where doing what we have the freedom to do would actually tear down another person rather than build them up. In fact, it could tear down an entire congregation if we're not careful. And the point is, is that freedom is not an end in itself. Now, that's kind of a difficult thing. Of course, as Americans, we think of freedom as an end of itself. And in the respect of the nation and um, what, what freedoms we have as, as Americans, I suppose that's true. That you know, men fight and die, women now too, fight and die for the cause of freedom. That's in the natural realm. But in the spiritual realm, freedom's not an end in itself. Jesus said, you know what? He did not say, listen, I'm giving you freedom. And that's the end of it. You see, freedom is a resource. It's like time or talent or money. And the question about freedom is, how will we use it? How will we use our freedom? Will we spend it all on our own rights and desires? I'm talking about freedom now, not money. Our time, our freedom. uh, uh, God has given us the freedom to do things that are not, not, not immoral now. We're not talking about immorality here. We're talking about other things. So will we take our freedom and focus on our own rights and desires? That's what a lot of people do. Or will we sacrifice our rights at times? Use our freedom to serve others. Yeah, that's the Christian attitudes towards freedom. I have freedom, but I, there are times when I'm not going to use it for my own purposes. I'm going to use it, sacrifice my rights for the good of other people. Please turn to Galatians chapter five, verse thirteen. Galatians five thirteen. What will you use your freedom for? Galatians five thirteen. Galatians is the great letter that that is. It's, it's like the emancipation proclamation for Christians. The whole point of Galatians is is that there are those legalists who will come and try to put you under bondage again. Don't let them do it. So it's celebrating our freedom as Christians from the the bondage of the law. But notice what Paul writes in verse 13 of chapter 5 of Galatians. For you were called to freedom, brethren. So far, there it is. We have freedom. Only, okay, here's the qualification. Do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh. Boy, is that easy to do. We have freedom, but as all of a sudden, like say time, we have freedom to use our time, but we start to notice that we're using it an awful lot for our fleshly desires. We get lazy, or we get selfish, or we get greedy, and that becomes the way that we spend our freedom. Don't do it, Paul writes. Don't turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh. Instead, through love, serve one another. Take your freedom, and in loving others, serve them. Take your time and out of love serve other people rather than yourself. The whole law is fulfilled in one word, in the statement you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You can't go wrong in making decisions about your freedom, your time, your behavior if you just focus on love, love of the Father, love of Jesus Christ, and love of one another. That will guide you. We'll see today that when the title of today's message is another thing that is just captures it all. Do what you're doing to the glory of God. Okay, so after those general principles, Paul now again turns to the practical side. And that doesn't mean that we turn off our minds to what we can learn as spiritual matter. Not at all. We're going to see that Paul is going to balance freedom and the concerns and needs of other people. And what he's basically going to do is he's going to say, I'm not saying you don't have any freedom. You can use it. In fact, in a sense, he bends over backwards to extend it as far as he can without it invading either idolatry against God or, or against the needs of others. So it's a very gracious part of, the, of this chapter, and we'll see that in a minute. Paul gives practical instructions, and again, this is the general principle. His practical instructions are going to be about eating meat, sacrificed to idols. And again, if you're not careful, you can say, well, that doesn't have anything to do with me. I'm not going to really read. I'll read this quick, and I want to get to, you know, I want to get to chapter 11 and talk about the fact that women are to be submissive to their husbands. Ah, that's what I want. They say, I don't I'm tired of it. We've been talking about idle meat for three chapters. I don't even know what it, why I should be talking about it. Well, this is why. Because the principle underneath this is that balance that the Lord wants us to have between our freedom, it was for freedom that Christ sent us free, and the well-being of others. Don't use it. To, to satisfy your flesh, but for the good of others, love them and serve them. And we're going to watch him do that in a very masterful way. And, and right now, as a matter of fact, let's look at First Corinthians. Go back to First Corinthians in chapter ten, and we're now going to read verses twenty-five to twenty-eight to see what I'm talking about. To see how he takes that subject and he first extends freedom in that area of eating meat, eating meat generally, as far as he can without it impinging on the needs and the concerns and the difficulties of other people. And again, we should apply this to the areas in our life where we have freedom, but we have to stop at the border when it starts to be harmful to other people, or even potentially harmful. Let's look at it. 1 Corinthians 10.25. Eat anything that is sold in the meat market without asking questions for conscience sake. In other words, don't go looking for trouble. For the earth is the Lord's and all it contains. That ought to be our attitude. Our attitude ought to be, you know what? I know who God is. I know that he created everything. I know that everything that he's provided is for us to use and to be be enjoying. It's all the Lord's, all it contains. These, These people may think that that meat is belonging to the idol, but you know what the fact is? That that idol is nothing And my God is the head of the universe, and he's provided everything for his children. Verse 27. If one of the unbelievers invites you, and you want to go, this is to their private dinner party. Eat anything that is set before you, again, without asking questions for conscience sake. Don't get scrupulous. Don't be like the Pharisees. You know They wouldn't eat anything until they first checked it out in every way and every matter. You know, you know, if you know Orthodox Jewish people, they're still doing it today. You know, don't mix this and that. Clean out, you know, all the leaven. And was it prepared by a rabbi? And Well, that's what Paul's getting at. He says, look, don't do that. You know, don't, don't be concerned with that. Because all it's going to do is, you know, cause you difficulty. But also cause difficulty for somebody else, a weak Christian. So, so if you find it out, it, you know, you, you should just not do that. Don't ask questions for conscience sake. Verse 28, but, now so far, he's been describing the freedom that the Corinthians have in this subject. He says, listen, if you're going to the market and you're buying meat, just buy meat. Don't, don't go to the back and ask the butcher, hey, was this coming from the temple? Was it sacrificed? Don't do that. So that's the freedom. If, you, if one of the unbeliever asks you to their, their dinner, their dinner party, go if you want to, and eat whatever's set before you. Don't ask any questions for conscience sake. Now, here's the but. Here's the qualification. Here's the exception. Here's where the the freedom has to be balanced with thinking about other people. But if anyone says to you, this this is meat sacrificed to idols, that changes it. He says, now don't eat it for the sake of the one who informed you and for conscience sake. So that changes everything. But he begins with two situations where the saints are free to eat meat with absolutely no qualms. Verse 25, eat anything that is sold in the meat market without asking questions for conscience sake. For the earth is the Lord, Psalm 24, 1, by the way, and all it contains. By the way, Psalm 24 is about the coming kingdom. And at that point in time, it'll be apparent to everybody that everything in the whole earth is the Lord's and all it contains. It's all holy, as a matter of fact, at that point. When the, when the, when the kingdom comes and everything is renewed, everything's holy again. Because it's all under the literal kingdom um, ownership of Jesus Christ. Okay, so that's the mentality we should have. For the earth is the Lord's and all it contains. Now, the, of the two situations, we see the first one here in verse 25. The first is buying meat in the market for your own dinner. And again, if the, the Jewish tradition on this would be to ask a lot of questions. So in a sense, what Paul is saying as a Jewish person is revolutionary. He's saying, do not concern yourself. You know, if you, what you don't know can't hurt you, so to speak. Because the fact of the matter is, is, it's not really idol's food, it's just food. We're going to see this. All right? The issue, though, is what do people around you believe? And what are you entering into? So if you don't know it, you're not entering into idolatry. That's what he's saying. Don't ask questions about it. Now, meat market. At that time in Corinth, most of the meat that was made available for sale in the market had in fact come from pagan temples. Most of it did. In fact, some of the best meat, the choicest cuts, were those that came from sacrificed animals in the temple. So I want you to understand the setting, all right? Not all of it, though. Because if all of it had been, then obviously you would know it's meat sacrificed to idols. But, but a lot of it was. And yet, Paul tells them to go ahead and eat any food that is sold in the meat market. He's saying, it's meat like any other meat. And again, don't even ask where it came from. You see, here's the principle. We've already seen in chapter 9, in chapter, chapter, beginning of chapter 10, actually. We saw that last week. That... If you're going to an idol's temple, then clearly you're entering into the worship of false gods. You can't help it. That's what you're doing, right? He says, you can I eat of the table of demons and the table of the Lord? Well, where do you eat of the table of the demons? Not at home at your dinner table, but when you're in the temple. When you actually go there and you participate, now you're participating in the worship of demons. But once that meat leaves the idol's temple, guess what? It's no longer idol food. In God's eyes, all right? It's available for us to use. That's the principle. God created it all for man's enjoyment. Man abuses it, right? Created it for man's enjoyment, but then people who've turned their backs on the Lord and then get drifted, pulled into the worship of creepy, crawly creatures and animals, and, you know, like, like Paul talks about in chapter one of the book of Romans. Now they're abusing, they're misusing what God has created for our enjoyment. Now that becomes a problem. But once it comes out of there again, and it's back into the public meat market, it's no longer in God's eyes considered idol food. Isn't that something? How gracious God is. He's not legalistic. You see, legalists would say, oh, no, no, no. You know, once polluted, always polluted. But that's not God's attitude. His attitude is, look, you guys know there's no such thing as an idol, right? So that you just don't go in the places or in the situations where you can see that there's worship of an idol around the eating of that meat. Other than that, you're free. Other than that, you're free. Pagans might be convinced that it's belonging to a false god, but Christians know the truth, that everything belongs to the one true God. So outside of going into an idol's temple, the principle is Christians are free to partake of meat without asking questions about whether it was kosher, so to speak. Paul then describes this second situation, and it's in verse 27. Here again, saints are free to participate in a meal. If you were invited to dinner at an unbeliever's home, and you wanted to go, that's the situation. Invited to an unbeliever's home, wanted to go, here's the principle. Be a good guest, and eat whatever is served. And again, don't ask questions. You know, I mean, in that situation, think about it, that would kind of be an insult to the host to be presuming that that's what, in other words, the host knows you're a Christian. He's preparing a meal, right? If he has integrity, he's not going to serve you meat sacrificed to idols. And if you then turn to him and say, hey, is this meat sacrificed to idols? That's an insult. Now, it may be, and that's a different situation. But in a matter of fact, there's a great insult to the host if you do that. Don't do that. He says, yeah, you may soothe your conscience, but you may have created trouble for other people. If one of the unbelievers, verse 27, invites you and you want to go, eat anything that is set before you without asking questions for conscience sake. See, he's not not requiring them to go. You know, if you don't like the guy or you think there's any possibility that there may be an issue of worshiping demons there, then don't go. But if you want to go, maybe it's a person that you're trying to witness to. Maybe, Maybe it's just a business associate that you're friends with, whatever it is. Maybe it's a neighbor. He says, you're free to go. With one exception. We'll get to that in a minute. See, here's the thing. We saw this, by the way, already in chapter 5. Um, Christians are not supposed to wall ourselves off. But now, this this goes on a lot in practice, right? You know, keep all the Christians together, Christian schools, Christian meat markets, Christian gas stations, you know, um, no, he says, that's, look, he says, you know what? If you refuse to have contact with unbelievers, think about it. First of all, it's not possible. I mean, really, despite our best efforts, if we want to, it's not possible to have no contact with unbelievers. Now, Paul said in chapter 5, if you were to do that, you would have to go out of this world. You have to get on a rocket and go to Mars if you wanted to have no contact with unbelievers. So it's not possible, number one. But much more importantly, how else will an unbeliever hear the gospel? Other than having Christians in their life. How else would an unbeliever see the love of Christ in operation? Other than having Christians in their lives. So he says this is not the point. Don't wall yourself off. You want to go to a dinner with an unbeliever. It might be an opportunity for you to demonstrate the love of Christ. It might be an opportunity for you to give them the gospel during dinner. So please, by all means, go if you want to. However, here in the private home of an unbeliever, there is an exception. You may get dragged into something that the Lord doesn't want you to be a part of. Look at verse 28. But, so in other words, now the freedom is put aside for a minute. If anyone says to you, tells you, this is meat sacrificed to idols, don't eat it. For the sake of the one who informed you. Isn't that interesting? Somebody goes to you and says, you know what? This is eat meat sacrificed to idols. And you, you have, now notice this, you have the freedom to eat it still. Because in your mind, yeah, it's not, re- it's not really my God in heaven really provided it for us to enjoy. But now that it's out, so to speak, there are the other people involved. The person who told you maybe trying to see your response to that. And that would affect maybe their attitude towards our one true God. Maybe there's a weak Christian who doesn't have a built up strong conscience like you do. And they would be be ruined by that. They would think, wait a minute, I thought that there's one God now, this Christian that I respect is here, and it looks like he's entering into the worship of this idol. How can that be? It's not you that's the issue, it's the other guy. Right? The one who informs you, and for conscience sake. So here we have a situation, you're at the dinner table with an unbeliever's family, and then somebody there, it could even be the host by the way, announces... This is meat that was sacrificed to an idol. This would happen a lot in private meals. They would, as it were, consecrate the meal to a demonic idol. In other words, this meal is in honor of this false god. Now, of course, we do the same thing, don't we? We say grace. What does that do? It consecrates the meal to the Lord. You see? But in their case, this is why you always have to look at the comparison, right? If we're supposed to be given honor to the Lord, but now we find out we're in the midst of partying people who are given honor to a false God, now that changes everything. Changes everything with regard to eating that meat. See, to go ahead and then, if you now you know, wait a minute, I know now that this is eat this is meat that they think was sacrificed to idols. If you went ahead and eat it, you, you the perception, and this is why it's very interesting. We don't, we don't think about this much, but The perceptions of other people have to be taken into account. We don't like that. We want to say, you know what? They're seeing it wrong. I'm seeing it right. The heck with them. I'm going to do what I have the freedom to do. But but what Paul is saying here is that you need to consider what other people are thinking, what other people are believing, and what's happening in front of you. It's not all about you. He said, you know what? The host may be there, and now he knows that you know that this is meat sacrificed to idols. And he, if, if you eat it, he thinks it, he sees it as you entering in, condoning the worship of idols. So that is going to corrupt the mind of the host. Other guests, the same thing. They're like, oh, look, he's eating it. I guess he doesn't have a problem with Zeus or whoever it is, Aphrodite or Bacchus, whoever it is that they bring into the picture. That's what your eating does to them in that situation. That changes everything for the Christian. You can't do that. But even more damaging, it could create a huge obstacle to an unbeliever believing in Christ. Think about it. He would sit there. He knows you're a Christian. He's curious and interested in your God. And then you go and eat the meat of their God. And you say, you know what? Yeah, I'm, I'm worshiping your God too. So if I were an unbeliever at that point, I'd say, wait a minute. Why do I need to believe in the Christian God when a Christian says it's all right for me to worship my idol?" See how that does damage to the message of the gospel? Or they just conclude, you know what, these Christians are hypocrites. They say one thing and they do another. They don't even believe what they're preaching. Again, that does terrible damage to the message of the gospel. We ought to think the same thing. You know, we may know that we have the freedom to do something. Let's say, eat meat during Lent. I'll throw that out. You may say, what's Lent? Well, it's a Catholic thing. And they they, they taught that you can't eat meat on Fridays during Lent. Right? Because you laugh at it. We laugh at that. I laugh at it. And you say, you know what? That's a ridiculous rule. Right? However, if you go into the family of a Catholic and you start eating meat on Fridays just to show how free you are, can you see how that would be offensive and all of a sudden maybe shut the door to an opportunity to give the gospel to people? Can you see that? And that's what, that's what Paul's saying here. A lot of things, you know. We have the freedom to, to play cards on a Friday night. But if you're there with a very legalistic person, and that would just shut them off to anything else you had to say, maybe you shouldn't play cards that night. You have the freedom to do it. When you get around your Christian friends, fine. But if you get around your Baptist friends, you may want to think about it. So you have to be considerate of how other people are perceiving what you're doing, even though you know in your heart that you have the freedom and the right to do it. But again, the emphasis here is not on your own conscience. Notice he says, for the, one, for the sake of the one who informed you and for their conscience. You see, you would not be violating your own conscience if you ate that meat in and of itself. right? But you're not to eat it for the sake of the conscience of the other person. Look at verse 29. You know, because first when you read verse 28 and it says, you know, for the sake of the one who informed you and for conscience sake. You might assume that Paul is saying, oh, now my conscience is entering into it. So he clarifies that in verse 9. I mean not your own conscience. That's not the issue. The other man's conscience. That's the issue. In other words, it's not a matter of conscience for us. It's a matter of love or the lack of it. Okay. For why is my freedom judged by another's conscience? That's a rhetorical question. It's not. It's not. We are not to put ourselves under the bondage of another person's rules and regulations. That's not the point. He says, another thing, if I partake with thankfulness, as we should, being thankful to the Lord for what he's provided, why am I slandered concerning that for which I give thanks? In other words, you really shouldn't be, but people are going to do it. So again, by your own conscience, by your own rights, you're fine. But when it comes to other people perceiving what you're doing, not fine. In other words, you're free to eat the meat in and of itself, but if you do so now, when you know it's been sacrificed to idols and everybody else does, you would cause some people to be shocked and others to get really cynical. Really cynical. And this is a general principle. Talking about in particular, but it's a general principle. There are times when we as Christians may have the freedom to do something, go to a horse track, drink alcohol, whatever you want to fill in the blank with. Okay? But to do so in a certain circumstance would shock people. You don't want to do that. You can do it later. You know, Paul says, if 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 eating meat would cause my brother to stumble, I'll never eat meat again. Now that's an exaggeration. That's not the. But we are not under that. But we are under saying, well, you know what? I don't have to do that now. I can do that another time because I don't want to shock or cause this other person to become cynical about me or about Christianity. In other words, the issue is not your conscience but theirs. Be thoughtful of the needs of others. What will happen to their conscience? What will happen to their perception of what it means to be a Christian? In other words, look at it the way they see it, not the way you see it. See, when we're focused on our own freedom, we're looking at things the way we see it, and that's fine. But now you have to broaden your viewpoint and say, but there's another person here. I wonder how they see this. And then that should govern your decision about whether or not to do something. You sacrifice your own rights for the benefit of others. That's what Paul was talking about in chapter 9 when he was saying, you know what? I have the freedom to take a wife, believing wife, but I choose not to. I have the freedom and actually the right to expect these, the churches to support me financially. I choose not to. Why? Because there's something bigger here at stake, and that is the preaching of the gospel. But I would not any, want to have anyone question my motivations for preaching the gospel. So Paul understood this. You sacrifice your rights for the benefit of others. That's a general principle. A saint can partake with an attitude of thankfulness to God and his conscience is clear. However, you know, it's only saying that it's clear with any wrongdoing associated with eating the meat itself and that's all well and good. What about other people? What could happen to their conscience? It's not all about you. It's time to sacrifice your freedom for the sake of others. When was the last time you had that thought? When was the last time you had the thought that says, you know what, it's time for me to sacrifice my freedom, my rights, my time, my money, for the sake of others and for the sake of the gospel. This is not just human-human relationship, but ultimately it's me and the Lord. I'm here to glorify God. I'm here to be a witness of, of Jesus Christ. That has to enter into the picture. There are times when we have to sacrifice our freedom for the sake of others and for the sake of the gospel. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 8. I'm going to do a little review. I mean, clearly this is an important principle that he's bringing on the scene, okay? In chapter 10, but we've seen this before. This has been a theme throughout these three chapters of, of arguments concerning the subject of eating meat. Notice in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9. Paul has to hammer and hammer and hammer this thing over and over again. There are times when you have to sacrifice for the good of other people. And for the gospel. First Corinthians eight nine. Take care that this liberty, this freedom of yours, does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. Here it's other Christians. Take care that this liberty you have freedom, but make sure it doesn't become a stumbling block to other Christians who are weak in conscience. Look at chapter nine, verse twelve. It comes again. It's a theme. Paul hammers this home again and again and again. First Corinthians nine twelve. Concerning his own example, we did not use this right. When was the last time you said that? I I wonder how, how, if you looked at the balance of how you think and how you say about your rights, how much of that is geared towards I have this right? And how much of it is geared towards I sacrifice this right? I would, I'll submit to you that all of us probably spend a lot more time over here. You know, I have the right to do that. Don't take my rights away and so forth, right? But how much do we drift over in this side and say, you know what? I need to sacrifice my freedoms and my rights for the good of other people. That's unnatural. So Again, especially in the United States, where and we should, where we have such an understanding and a protection of the rights that, the, that God has given us and that the rights that have been protected in our Constitution. And that's fine. But when it comes to the Christian living, the Christian life, you, there are times when you've got to sacrifice that right for the good of other people. You might say, I have freedom of speech, for example. But yes, but if you open your mouth and you, and you, and you crush another believer or you say things that are going to cause the unbelievers in your midst to think less of Jesus Christ, that you don't say of the freedom, freedom of speech, but you sacrifice it for the good of other people, for example. okay. So let's look at chapter 9, verse 12 again. We did not use this right. Why? But we endure all things so that we will cause no hindrance to the gospel of Christ. Adopt that mental attitude. Adopt it. You say, you know, I have a right, I'm not going to use it. Why? I'll put up with the consequences of not using it. I'll lose out in some way. Why? So I never cause a hindrance to the gospel of Christ. Is your mind focused on that? When you think about your interactions with people and, their, and what your decisions, are you saying, the first and foremost, I want to make sure that whatever I'm doing, whatever I'm saying, wherever I'm going, doesn't in any way cause a hindrance to the gospel of Christ? Now, how are you going to do that? You know what? The only way you're going to do that is if you have the priorities of your life straight. That, yes, you have your freedom, but above that is the well-being of others, and above that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you have your priorities straight, this will come naturally. If you don't, this will be impossible. That's why, you know, we talk a lot about, I talk a lot about, you know, hearing the word of God, letting your mind be renewed. That's the only way we'll get there. You know, by sheer stubbornness and looking at the list again and again, it's not going to happen. Now, I want you to have the list, but what it's really suggesting is maybe I need a change in my mental attitude. Maybe I need to change my priorities here and put more weight on the gospel than what I want to do. That's what he's saying here. We did not use this, right? We endure all things so that we will cause no hindrance to the gospel of Christ. Then go forward to a few verses later. Verse 19. Again, he brings this up, the same principle. He says, for though I am free from all men, in other words, I don't have to be in bondage to anybody. However, I have made myself a slave to all. I have my freedom, and I choose to be a slave. Think about that. I have my freedom, but I choose to be a slave. Very different from being forced to be a slave, isn't it? I choose to be a servant of all. Why? Well, because I'm so humble. Oh shucks, you know, uh, no, it's because I may win more. See, priority number one, the gospel. That I may win more. To the Jews I became as a Jew. Kind of an interesting that he was a Jew. right? He says, to the Jews I became as a Jew. In other words, he was thoughtful of how they would be perceiving what he was doing. He did that a lot. I mean, he used to go to the synagogues first when he came into a city. There would be things he wouldn't do that he had the right to do because he didn't want to offend the Jewish people. So that I might win them. To those who are under the law as under the law, though not being myself under the law. So that I might win, notice what's foremost, may win the gospel, salvation, those who are under the law. To those who are without law, as without law, though not being without the law of God, but under the law of Christ. Again, why? So that I may win those who are without law. He's thinking about the Jewish people. He's thinking about the Gentile people. He's thinking about weak believers. Notice he says, to the weak I became weak. I put myself in their shoes so that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all men. I've adjusted my lifestyle, my behavior, my thinking to the people I'm trying to witness to. I've become all things to all men so that I may by all means save some. In other words, he was single-minded. Are we are we single-minded ultimately in this world? At the end of the day, when we think about our day, and we think about why we did what we did, can we honestly say that, you know what, the first thing on my, my priority list, my number one consideration was the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's a challenge. It's a challenge to all of us. I dare say that most of us fall a little short in that area. You know, Paul was exceptional, I'll grant you that. But all of us can, can be moving in the direction of increasing that in your priority list, so one day it is number one. It should be now. You know, if we were really, if really understood, if some rainy brought up in Thursday the evening Bible study. If we really understood how wicked and and unrighteous we were, right before we believed in Christ. You know, there is none righteous, not even one. Their throat is a yawning grave, right? Their feet are quick to do evil. All the things. That's all of us. All right. If we understood that understood that under the justice of God, we deserved the lake of fire. And rather than put us under that bondage, he had his son, Jesus Christ, die for us on the cross, the just for the unjust, sacrificing his very life for us so that we might be saved. When we think about it that way, we understand now the importance of the gospel. When we are focused on that. When we're not focused on ourselves or trying to show how we're doing something other people aren't doing, and we get kind of puffed up about our Christianity, instead of that, to go right back to the cross, that will really help you to focus on the importance of the gospel in this world. All right. And do all things for the sake of the gospel, that I may become a fellow partaker of it. You know, that's, that's true. that statement in verse 23 is... Uh, like somebody who bowls, you know, bowler, and 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 they have a like a sign in the locker room where it says, "Someday I will I will roll a three hundred score game." That's a perfect game, by the way. It's all strike, 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 strike. If you know bowling, right? Now, is, is he, when he looks at his scorecard? Is it three hundred every time? No, absolutely not. But that's his goal. You see it? What's your goal in life? Is your goal, does it look like Paul's in verse 23? I do all things for the sake of the gospel. I'm sold out for the gospel of Jesus Christ, so that I may become a fellow partaker of it. All right, let's look at chapter 10 now. We're following the thread of the idea that we are to think of others ahead of ourselves. It's a simple concept, but it needs to be said again and again and again, because it's so unnatural. Look at chapter 10, verse 24. Let no one seek his own good but that of his neighbor. See the principles that he's, he's bringing? Again, this would be a great one to put on your wall, you know. Let no one seek his own good but that of his neighbor. By the way, we're going to see, Paul, we start in the title today, talk about glorifying God. And we're going to see that a lot of people have no idea what that really means. You know, they may think, you know, it's singing in church or speaking in tongues or whatever it might be. Nothing to do with any of that. It's not what you say. It's what, how you live. This is, this is what brings glory to God. Verse 24. Let no one seek his own good but that of his neighbor. Oh, you know, I, that's kind of like hard. No one's going to notice me if I do that. People are going to think I'm weak if I do that. I'm not going to have such a fun life maybe if I do that. No, no, no. I would rather glorify God by going into a building one day a week and screaming and yelling and hooping and hollering Praise you, God. Praise you. But then not understand the heartbeat of God, which is what? Let no one seek his own good but that of his neighbor. That's a 24-7 thing. That's not just for 15 minutes on Sunday. See, that's, that's every day an attitude, saying that I do all things for the sake of the Gospels. And every day, it's not just a song. It's how we live every day or can. It's a matter of love. Love does not seek its own. We're going to see that in chapter 13. Again, love does not seek its own. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Again, if you just focus on love, then you will get this. Your priorities will go right in in, in the right places. But it's hard. It's hard to, to live into these principles. To not seek our own. To do no wrong to a neighbor. It's a challenge. Please turn to Romans chapter 14, verse 13. Romans 14, 13. In Romans 14, he's talking about eating and drinking, just like in 1 Corinthians 8 through 10. But here it's different. See, he's not talking here about idle meat. He's simply talking about considering the scruples of other people. You know, if he's saying, look, you know you have the freedom to eat meat, but if your brother is weaker and only eats vegetables and think there's something wrong with eating meat, when I'm in his presence, her presence... I'm not going to eat meat. That, that's what Paul's talking about. There's another freedom issue. Look at verse 13. Therefore, let us not judge one another anymore. You know how it is. Strong believers judging the weak believer. Oh, he doesn't know anything. He doesn't understand that God made all things for our benefit. Then the weaker believers judging the stronger believer. Doesn't he know that you shouldn't eat meat? Right? And that goes on and on. Each side judging the other side. Because who loves that when Christians judge each other? Not the father, the enemy, right? That, that's something the enemy introduces in, in the midst of Christians to try to break up congregations and families and so forth. Let no one judge. Let us not judge one another anymore, but rather determine this. What? Not to put an obstacle or a stumbling block in a brother's way. Think about your brother first. It's like marriage. Now I told you I'm not going to do marriage counseling anymore. And I'll probably stick to that. But you know what? If I do, it's going to be really simple. I'm just going to turn to the wife and say, from now on, what you got to start doing is honoring and respecting your husband. And then I'm going to turn to the husband and say, from now on, what you've got to start to doing, what you haven't been doing, is to love your wife sacrificially. I'm going to walk out of the room. Because that's really all that needs to be said, right? But it requires what? It requires this, thinking about the other person first. Very hard for humans in our natural fleshly side to do. You see, this stuff is simple. It's not hard. You might say, oh, yeah, think about the needs of others, golden rule, blah, blah, blah. That's, the issue isn't that you haven't heard it before. The issue is that maybe you're not living in it now. And that's why it needs to be repeated again and again and again and again. So that you just let it soak and you, and you test yourself against the truth of the word of God. And you come out and you realize you've still got some attitude adjustment here. You're not going to do it, by the way. Word of God's going to do it. But at least you recognize it. You don't kid yourself. How great is your darkness when you think you're in the light? Let's not put a stump, an obstacle or stumbling block in a brother's way. Verse 14, I know and I know and am convinced in the Lord Jesus. That nothing is unclean in itself. He's the same issue that he's bringing up in chapter 10. I have the right to eat this. I have the right to go there. I have the right to do this. It's not unclean in itself, but to him who thinks, we have to be concerned not only with the outer well-being of our brother or our sister, but how they're thinking about it. But if anyone, But to him who thinks anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. You have to factor that in. For if because of food your brother is hurt, notice, if because of food, I have the right to eat it, your brother is hurt, you are no longer walking according to love. You see, love trumps rights. That's the principle. Because because actually by rights, a husband could say, you know what, I have the right to be honored. She's not honoring me. And and by right, the wife could say, you know what, you're supposed to be loving me sacrificially and you're not. But if you look at that, then things would just end and break apart there, right? No, love has to be a higher priority in our lives than our rights. Because of food, your brother is hurt, you're no longer walking according to love. And who walked according to love every day of his life, all the way to the day he died? Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ did this. He walked in love his entire life. Do not destroy with your food, notice, do not destroy with your food him for whom Christ died. Can you see that he's getting their head on straight again? You know, sometimes you're so focused on your rights, you know, you can't see outside of the bubble that you're in. But here he's saying, you know what, this is what you need to do. Go back to the cross, look at Christ dying on the cross, and ask yourself a question. Who did he do that for? Just you? Or the brother, that you're going to hurt if you, if you do what you have the freedom to do. And you know the answer is, well, it's both. But I have to focus on the fact that Christ died for him or her. And here's the principle, verse 16. Therefore, do not let what is good for you, you have the right to do what is a good thing, be spoken of as evil. And again, consideration for the perception of other people. Because after all, if this happened and we were only looking at ourselves, we might say, you know what, that... So and so, I have the right to do this, and he's speaking evil of me right now. He—he's. You know, I'm going to judge him. I'm going to tell other Christians about him. That would be a, many people's attitude towards this, but that's not walking according to love. Yeah, maybe a good thing for you, but think about the other person's perspective. Don't tempt them to have, speak of this as evil. All right. So we've been looking at Paul's practical instructions, and I want to give you a little table that summarizes it. I don't know, can you read that okay? It's in a smaller font than I usually use. But here are the the four, and I want you to to point out the specifics, but also the heartbeat around it. All right, eating meat. Can you eat it in an idol's temple? No. No. Can you buy it in a meat market and eat it? Yes. Can Can you eat it at a meal in an unbeliever's home? Yes. But there's an exception. Can you eat at, a, at an unbeliever's home if somebody tells you that it's meat sacrificed to an idol? No. In other words, here's the priorities, right? Love the Lord your God with all your mind, heart, soul, and strength. And if you eat in an idol's temple, you're not doing that. Okay? If you buy it in a meat market and you take it home, then you're not, you're not hurting anybody, especially if nobody knows whether or not it's food sacrificed to idols anyway. If you go to a meal at an unbeliever's home and your heart is to uh, give thanks to God and have an opportunity to witness, that's good. However, here's where the other person comes in. If somebody tells you that it's meat sacrificed to an idol, now you have to say, I have to love one another as God loves them. Love. And you have to say, you know what? Even though I have the right, I'm not going to do it because of the harm it's going to cause somebody else. Again, the specifics and the general principle. And then in verse thirty one, he sums it all up in one tremendous statement. First Corinthians ten thirty one. Whether then you eat or drink, whatever you do, this covers everything you do in life, do it all to the glory of God. First Corinthians ten twenty one. I'm going to say it again. First Corinthians ten twenty one. Whether then you eat or drink, whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. Again, a big challenge. A big challenge. None of us is doing that completely or even close to it. Probably. Maybe, maybe some of you are, but I'm going to just use myself. I'm not doing that all the time. I'm not, when I think about, well, how I'm going to spend my time, what I'm going to say next, all those things. I don't always say, well, what is going to be the most glorifying to God? I usually, often will say, what's going to make me feel good? Or, you know, what's going to, you know, further my interests, right? Oh, I guess I'm, you know what? You guys better get another pastor because obviously you're all holier than I am. I'm going to leave now. No, it's true. We don't do that all the time. But it gets a goal. It's a goal. Whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. If you follow that one guideline, you can't go wrong. But here's the question. What does it mean? What does it mean to do all to the glory of God? Well, look at verse 32. Give no offense, either to the Jews or to the Greeks or to the church of God, just as I also please all men in all things, not seeking my own profit, my, what's beneficial for me, but the profit of the many, what's beneficial for the other people, so that they may be saved. So what does it mean to give glory to God? What is it, course of action can you and I take that will bring glory to God? I want to just sum it up. First, this brings glory to God. Do nothing that would cause a brother or a sister in Christ to stumble. That is what brings glory to God. Notice, Paul doesn't say anything here about what a lot of people think of as glorifying God. All right? I, I will submit to you that a lot of Christians have some trivial things that they try to say, this is glorifying to God. But it's, this is what really is. Do nothing that could cause a brother or a sister in Christ to stumble. Do nothing that could turn unbelievers away from the gospel. I got to tell you that. I know it's a caricature. I know it doesn't represent us. But when the world shows Christians doing things and churches doing things that are obviously hostile and evil, like you know, I mean, it's out there all the time. When you have people who purport themselves to be the leader of the, of the Christian community, Christianity in the United States, and they get partisan and hateful and all the other things that happen in the name of Christ, that is, do, that is doing something that could turn unbelievers away from the gospel. Now, I don't agree with the attitudes of unbelievers, but I certainly can understand it when you see some of the things that are said to be Christianity that have nothing to do with Christianity but Christians don't realize the importance of not turning unbelievers away from the gospel. They'd rather judge the unbeliever. Tell them what's wrong with them. That is not glorifying to God. Don't serve yourself, serve others. Seek the best interests of others. That goes under the radar many times, but that's glorifying to God. See, here, I'll, I'll sum it up for you. Too many Christians think what's glorifying them is also glorifying God. And they're in the center of it and everyone's saying, wow, look how holy, what a great song they're singing and whatever. See, that glorifies them. They're confused, you know. What glorifies God is things you do under the radar. Seek the best interest of others. You know, no one's going to go to a concert or a play and spend big money to watch people just doing that. Seeking the best interest of others, you know. It's not a, it's not a flamboyant, exciting thing. It's the opposite. Seek the best interest of others and then take the course of action Notice that will be the most effective witness for Christ. Think about it. This is a challenge. Take the course of action that will be the most effective witness for Christ. All right, let's get real at the end. I'm going to put something up and I want you to fill in the blank for yourself. You see this, what's the first thing that comes to mind? I have the freedom to, write it down. I have the freedom to, whatever that might be. Fill in the blank. Let's get real. Write it down, because I want you to look at it if you have some questions I'm going to ask you. I have the freedom to. What do you have the freedom to do? Okay? Now, keeping that front and center, here's the question. When you're doing that, are you acting to bring glory to God or to fulfill your own selfish desires? Be honest. Do you do that to bring glory to God or to fulfill your own selfish desires? Take the test. Here's another test. Am I acting for the well-being of others or am I seeking my own advantage in doing that? Think about that one. Am I acting for the well-being of others or am I seeking my own advantage? And then finally, is it more likely that this action will bring someone to Christ or is it more likely that that action will turn somebody away from Christ? That's challenging. And I think all of us need to look at that, especially in areas where we say, you know what, I have the right to do that. I have the freedom to do that. Ask yourself those questions. Look at chapter 11, finally, verse 1. Be imitators of me, just as I also am of Christ. You know, human beings, we learn best when the first thing we do is watch the expert at work. Isn't that true? You can read something, people can say you ought to do it, But you're sitting there, and until you see somebody actually doing it, you don't really understand the words, oftentimes. Well, here we're given two role models, right? Paul, be imitators of me, and Christ, just as I also am of Christ. But you know something? It's really one role model. You see, Paul dedicated his life to Christ. So by imitating him, we're choosing Christ as the role model. Paul dedicated his life to preaching the word of the cross, the gospel. The cross was front and center. As it should be for us. Paul sacrificed everything. He did everything so that as many people as possible might be saved. Paul took Christ as his role model. Again, it's simple. Ultimately, who's our role model? Christ. Okay? Well, what did Christ do? Paul preaches the word of the cross. What happened at the cross? Well, At the cross, Christ gave us all, Paul and all of us, the ultimate example to follow. Again, simple. If you want to say what glorifies God, look at the cross. If you want to look at your role model, look at the cross. Why? This is why. At the cross, he sacrificed his life for others so that they might be saved. There it is. All of it in one package. Think about others before yourself and and think about the gospel first and most of all. So just look at Christ. This all boils down to that. He always glorified the Father, did He not? Always, all the time. He did it this way. By sacrificing His life, the ultimate glory to God came at the cross when Christ sacrificed His life for others so that they may be saved. And finally, let's just look at Romans 15, 1 through 3 And this will be our last passage today. And we'll end with this passage as well. Romans 15, 1-3. Do all to the glory of God. Think of others first. Don't do anything that would harm the progress of the gospel. And if you want to wrap it all up in one thing, it's Christ is our role model, especially at the cross. Romans 15, 1. Now, we who are strong ought to bear the weaknesses of those who are without strength, not just please ourselves. There it is again. Each of us is to please his neighbor for his good, for his edification, Verse 3, the role model. For even Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. He he looked at his father and said, I know all the sins that they have committed against you. Put them on me. I can bear them. I will go to the cross with them. I will die in order to deal with their sins. That's the ultimate. That's the mentality. Now, are we going to go to the cross no. Will we, we ever be able to walk exactly the way Christ walked in love and in the thinking of the cross all the time? No. But we sure can improve, can't we? We sure can focus. How do we do it? What's our job? Have our minds renewed. Wow, it really is true that the ultimate God of the universe had his son and he didn't think of himself. He thought of me. He took my reproaches on himself. He didn't please himself, but he did everything he could for me. Therefore, if the son of God does that, I ought to do that. All right, let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you again today for helping us to understand what's really behind, what your heartbeat is on this subject. We ask, Father, that we would adopt your heart by understanding the truth of the Word of God when it comes to the cross of Jesus Christ, and that we would then seek to live that way. We ask this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. All righty, just another couple of announcements now. Um, Bible study this Thursday, September 19th, 7 p.m. Keep Pastor Kingsley in prayer as he takes his trip to South Africa. Continue to give us your prayer requests, please. And uh, just remember that our giving policy is a grace policy. As God has given to us, so we give. And that's really that simple. All right. And so as we close today, let us think about the gospel of Jesus Christ so we're ready to preach it to others and live by it ourselves. If anyone hasn't believed in Christ as their savior, now is always the time to make that decision. We know that it's by grace it and nothing to do with us. We know that we, we are saved by grace through faith, not of ourselves. It's a gift. You have a gift from God that you can open people's eyes to see and that they can have it too. What is it? If you believe in Christ, you'll never perish, but you'll have eternal life. So simple, so simple. All you have to do is hear the good news that Christ died for your sins and rose again and believe it. And you will have eternal life and God will declare you righteous in his eyes forever. All right, let's close in prayer again. Father, we thank you today for the gospel, the fact that you've given us the unbelievable privilege of preaching and presenting the gospel to unbelievers. We ask today, Father, that you'd open our eyes to those opportunities and you'd open our eyes to the needs of others. And you'd open our eyes to the importance of seeking you first, loving you first, and then loving our neighbor as ourselves. We ask it again in Jesus' name, by the power of the Spirit. Amen.